Welcome to the Word of Life AG podcast. We are passionate about leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus Christ. If you would like to learn more about our church family, get connected, or check out any of the other great content from our church, visit our website. That's www.wordoflifeag.org. Good morning. It is wonderful to be here. Well, um, if I can ask everyone, if we can stand for a moment, I'd love to pray together and get us started right. So uh, if you would, please, um, prayer is not a you know, spectator sport. You know, let's pray together um, as a community of faith, including those of you online at uh, home. But Lord, we're here right now. And Lord, as we're digging in once again to this idea of hope and what the Christmas story, about the story about the birth of your son, what it uh, can teach us and what it can show us and what it can model to us and demonstrate about hope. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be theory today. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be some ideas, it wouldn't be hypothetical, it wouldn't be something that seems good on a page, but Lord, it is something that transforms our lives, that transforms our hearts. Lord, for people here, for whatever different situation they may be going through, Lord, that need hope today. Lord, I pray, I come to you, Lord, and I ask that you give hope to people. Lord, in the words of Tom Wood would fade to the background today, but your words would stick close to people's hearts. Lord, that what you have to say to people, Lord, would shape someone's thinking, shape their outlook. Lord, and the people would leave here with a true sense of hope. In Jesus' incredible name, amen, amen. Thank you, everybody. You can go ahead and grab a seat. I'm going to give you a fair warning now. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of Bible today. Uh, we have a team meeting at 9 o'clock before we get started uh, with all the volunteers that are part of service that day, and I let them know, I'm on a personal record today. I have 20 pages of notes. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting people to gasp. Okay, so calm down. So I hope you brought your own lunch with you because um, your plans have just been changed. I'm just kidding, kind of, sort of. But we're going to go through a lot of Bible today, and I hope it's going to be helpful. And I really do, uh, really do hope that the prayer that, you know, that I just shared with everybody and hopefully that you sort of felt and you were engaging with is it comes true. That this isn't just theory. We're not just citing some Bible passages, but there's something in this today that is going to shape hearts and minds. And we're a week four of a series that we started, and uh, we, we locked into this idea of at Christmas time we need to go through a series of hope. This was decided upon months ago. Megan and I were together, and we were talking and praying, considering what we were going to share this Christmas season. And we knew that we had to talk about hope, and we had no idea how relevant it was going to be. We've had so much kind feedback of people sharing how it's been meaningful and helpful to individuals as they've been a part of church with us over the past couple of weeks. So I hope that continues as we dig into more today. But week one, we looked at a verse in Romans that talked about God being the source of hope. And uh, we then looked at uh, Hebrews in that same message and talked about, you know, that our hope is anchored. You know, that is an anchor to the promise of God. So this idea that hope is, is sourced from God, that God is our source of hope, and that our hope is anchored to His promise. And then we looked at the shepherds as we got specifically into the nativity story and how the shepherds in that culture at that time that they were on the outskirts of things, they're on the edges of things. But God has a way of bringing people on the edges and on the outskirts to come right into the middle of his promises. And then last week we looked at Anna and Simeon, people who faithfully for decades had been waiting and anticipating for the promises of God to come to pass. And this week we're gonna look at the wise men and what they can teach us about hope. And it's easy to contrast the wise men with Anna and Simeon 
And last week, uh, Megan talked about Anna and, uh, Anna and Simeon last week in the temple and how they were spending decades actively looking for the Messiah, waiting for him to fulfill his promises. This was an expectant pair of people. But the wise men, they were 1,000 miles away. The idea of a Jewish Messiah was nowhere on their radar. The shepherds from week two may not have been active in their faith or driven by the belief that the Messiah will come, but they definitely had an awareness of the promises of God. They had an awareness of it all. But the wise men were not anticipating this until one day they saw a new star that they hadn't seen before. And we've been saying for three weeks now that the Christmas message is a message of hope. Among many, many other things, the story we have of the wise men reminds us that God brings hope, not just to those seeking it, but also to those who are completely unaware of God's promises. The involvement of the wise men helps build the Christmas story into a story of hope. So much of the Christmas story is filled with the unexpected and the things that are impossible to predict. We have multiple visitations of angels. We have Zacharias and Elizabeth having a son despite naturally being unable to. There's a young virgin conceiving a child by the Holy Spirit. There's an army of angels visiting the shepherds in the fields. And then we have the wise men. Now, who are these wise men? Well, it's become popular to assume that there was three of them. The best guess as to why that is is because uh, they brought three gifts, but the Bible doesn't specify how many there were. And we say wise men in English, but wise man doesn't really give us any clue about who they are or their background. The Greek word that's used is magi, and that appears to be both a descriptor and a title for these men. The magi were known to come from Persia, which is over 900 miles away from Jerusalem, the same place that many Jews were exiled to under the Babylonian Empire and later in Persia. The magi were noble members of the royal court as very important and respected servants, but not kings. But they were part of the educated class and would have been advisors to kings and rulers. And we see people in a similar position in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament where people are brought in to advise the king. You may know the story, and the people brought in are fortune tellers and astrologers, including studying stars. And it appears that at the time of the first century, the Magi performed similar tasks and functions as the book of Daniel. And since the time of Moses, which is over a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, the Jewish people have understood the importance of keeping the Ten Commandments. Interestingly, the Magi and their pagan rituals and their idolatry would have broken the very first commandment. From the book of Exodus, you must have no other God before me. These people that God chose to reveal his hope and his promises to in a very unique way, they broke the first commandment. They didn't even get to number two before they were disqualified. Their pagan rituals and idolatry would have broken the first commandment. This is a disqualified people that God brought in to be a part of his promises. These are not people that we would expect to be among the first to recognize Jesus as king and to bow to him in worship. Not Jewish, pagan, idolaters, foreigners, and yet this is who God chose. And it's an important reminder that God is not limited to our expectations or our understanding. God brings hope in unexpected ways. I wonder how often our hope takes a hit because the packaging doesn't look right or because we don't see the signs we think we would see, that there's no obvious proof that God is working. We don't like today, and there's no way to imagine how God can possibly bring about a better tomorrow. And all this led me to a question that's gonna help us today. Do we lack hope because we've limited our expectations? Do we lack hope because we've limited our expectations? 
And we're going to look at everything the Bible says about the wise men, and I'll be stopping quite frequently to dig into what's written. But let's go ahead and see the role they play in this story of hope around the birth of Jesus. Matthew 2, starting verse 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, there's significance with Bethlehem, where we're told Jesus is born. It was only five miles away from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the capital, and consequently the center of commerce, politics, religion, and culture. And Bethlehem, even though it's five miles away from Jerusalem, is a small town, but it has historical significance from the Old Testament, notably as King David's hometown. And in many ways, Bethlehem, because it's where King David was from, it becomes synonymous with David. David is noted as being the greatest king Israel would ever have. And there was a promise that the Messiah would be a descendant of his. And as Matthew notes in chapter 1 of his gospel, that Jesus is a direct descendant of David. And as we're about to read, it was prophesied by Micah 700 years earlier that the Messiah, God's promised Savior, would be born in Bethlehem. And we're also from that introductory verse, we're told that it was during the reign of King Herod. And the original hearers of Matthew's Gospels would have known who Herod was. But for us, 2,000 years later, it's helpful for us to learn from the historians. See, Herod was the king, but he didn't inherit the throne legitimately. It was a political placement by Rome. And the Romans weren't interested in him being a good king for the Jewish people, but for him to be a good king for Rome. He also had a deeply ruthless side to him, which we'll read more about later on. But Herod had become known as Herod the Great, and the Great came in part because of his ambitious building projects that he successfully completed. The most notable of these projects was the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, which to this day is a true architectural marvel. But the Jewish people knew that Herod was an illegitimate king. They knew his deep, deeply evil side. So as the first hearers of Matthew's Gospels are listening to this, their minds are flooded with the backstory. During the reign of Herod, during the reign of this terrible, awful, wicked king that should never have been in the throne in the first place, that has no good right to try and be the king of the Jewish people, this is when the Savior comes. This is when the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, the wise men that have rolled in from eastern lands, how did they know all that they appeared to know? They're a thousand miles away, and yet they have some kind of apparent knowledge of the Old Testament. They speak of the king of the Jews, the promise of the Messiah, Then the Messiah would have the qualities of a king and be a descendant of David. They also mentioned his star, which is prophesied all the way back in the book of Numbers. It may be, and there's a strong possibility, that hundreds of years earlier, Daniel, while he was in Persia, and the other Jewish people that were living there would have accurately told and retold the story of the one true God. Perhaps that story had got handed down through generations, and likely over time it had become diluted or blended with the Persian religions. But the elements of that story may have lingered. Alternatively, they may have known absolutely nothing. There may have been no record of the God of the Bible speaking and ministering in Persia at this time. But maybe they saw a star, they got started on their journey, and while they're traveling and getting closer to Judea, maybe as they get closer, they're asking people, do you know about this star? Do you know anything about this star? And as they start getting closer to Judea, suddenly there are people with a bit more awareness than they had a thousand miles away, and so they start to be able to fill in the gaps as they're on their way. But either way, they knew some pieces of information, they knew some story of the promises of God by the time they get to Jerusalem, but they definitely didn't know all of it. Verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, when he heard about these men from the east coming into Jerusalem, asking questions. When he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod knows what's going on. 
Herod understands the significance of the questions these men are asking. Everyone else that was disturbed in Jerusalem that we just read, it's likely that Matthew is pointing to the ruling class, the people who benefited from Herod being king. They all know if the Messiah is being born, this is going to upset things. And in a panic, Herod calls the experts of religious law, and this is what they tell him in verse 5. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. The priests and the teachers knew the scriptures, what we would now call the Old Testament. And this prophecy about Bethlehem is just one of over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that promised Jesus the Messiah would come and rescue people from sin and death. And these prophecies would each be fulfilled in the life of Jesus, and Bethlehem is just one of them. On to verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now both the Bible and history records Herod as a ruthless, wicked man. His claim to want to worship the baby, the Messiah as well, is of course a complete falsehood. But it appears that these foreigners in a strange land, they don't know Herod's reputation. And we already know that Herod is disturbed, that this is a threat to his kingdom. And the wise men had come for the east, and so for Herod, that's a little dicey. So if you look at a map of the first century, Israel and Jerusalem is right about as far east as the empire goes. So what that means is that if they had come from the west, that means they came from the Roman Empire. That's okay, because Herod's good friends with the Roman Empire. That's not a threat. But they came from the east. Now the east, who knows what's going on over there? That's the complete unknown. So for Herod, the fact that they hadn't come from the west, but they'd come from the east means, oh, hold on, there's uncertainty around this. We don't know what these people are up to. We don't know who they represent. We don't know their customs, their ways. We don't know their agenda. And we see the beginning of Herod's plan to kill the Messiah and maintain his position as king. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Now, as a kid, I always assumed that the star that the wise men followed was unique. It was a new star that God had created just for this occasion, and that may well be the case. But recently, someone from the church shared a video with me called The Star of Bethlehem, and it's available on YouTube, and it's, it's well worth a watch. After some very serious research, the video concludes that the star might have been a planet and a star that were in alignment and produced an unusual brightness. So the timing of it where there was a planet and a star that had come into an alignment, and so the brightness was unlike anything that you would typically see. And the ability to track the movements of stars and planets means that uh, the researchers in this and the people that put the video together were able to retroactively look back 2,000 years to around the time of Jesus' birth, and they're able to see that at that time over Bethlehem, there would have been a planet and a star in alignment, and it would have happened around the time of Jesus' birth. Now, if it is a star and a planet that are combined, it also helps explain the movement of the star, which, of course, naturally and typically a star does not move like that, but the way that the wise men describe it as we have it here in Matthew's gospel. But if it is a planet and a star in alignment, there is that explanation as to how the star was able to move and act as a guide for them. Very interesting. Back to Matthew. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And Jesus is a toddler by this point. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, the three gifts is often what the wise men are famous for, and the reason we assume that there's three of them is because they brought those three gifts. 
And there's a really interesting lesson in the gift symbolism that I'll hit on briefly. I'll read this. This is something I read this week. The gifts of the Magi can be interpreted as foreshadowing Jesus' life and death. The gold, representing royalty, foretells Jesus as king. The frankincense, symbolic of the prayers of the high priest rising up to heaven, foretells Jesus as high priest. The myrrh, often used as burial oil, foretells Jesus' death. On to verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, why would God choose to reveal his son to these men? They were ignorant of God and the history of his people. They were outside the promises of God as people who weren't Jewish and didn't follow Jewish customs and had no desire to follow Jewish customs. They're outside of the promises of God. They hadn't shared in the long suffering of the Jewish people under the various overlords. They were idolaters and pagans. But God is not limited to our expectations or our understanding. See, hypothetically, if, if we were able to go back in time and we were to ask the shepherds or Anna and Simeon, who would be next? They'd had this revelation. They'd had this encounter with Jesus. Who's next on the list? We've had some shepherds. We've had some people patiently waiting in the temple. Who's next? These three wise men, I say in three as if I'm assuming there's three. My dad will be mad if I say that. I'm, I'm only joking. It's okay. But these wise men are not who these people would have chosen as being the next people on the list to have a dramatic encounter with Jesus. It was on no one's mind. These are not who anyone would have expected, but God is not limited to our expectations. And this is, of course, consistent. Jesus would grow up to befriend prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, and other people that most others would look down on. This is an extreme example, but here we are 2,000 years later, still including the story of the wise men every time we tell the story of Jesus' birth. These men are deeply woven into the ultimate story of hope, and it makes no sense that they play any part at all. But God brings hope in unexpected ways. God brings hope in unexpected ways. Hope isn't found in knowing it all. Hope isn't found in having the right background. Hope isn't found in the right circumstances. Hope isn't dependent on understanding how it's all coming together. But hope is sourced from God, is rooted in God, is anchored in his promises. And God has a track record of bringing about his promises in ways that you and I would never expect. Do we lack hope because we've limited our expectations? Do we lack hope because our hope is wrapped up in being able to see how God is moving? Is our hope wrapped up in how it is today and how we can foretell God maneuvering us out of this and how God's working behind the scenes and how God's operating? And are we so wrapped up, is our hope so contingent on being able to foretell and being able to foresee how it's all coming together? And if we can't see how God's working, if we can't see how he's maneuvering, if we can't see how God's operating, if we can't see how God's bringing hope into a situation, if we can't see how God's bringing another season, if we can't see how God's bringing breakthrough, is our hope taking a giant hit? Are we lacking hope because we've limited the hope to the expectations that we have? And our expectations contingent on our understanding and being able to see how exactly God is moving. And there's a few things that I thought were helpful as I was preparing and getting ready for today. There's a few things I think these wise men, these unexpected people that we never would have guessed that God would work through about what they can teach us about hope. Let's go back, and we're going to start again. Verse 1. And the first thing is that hope gets us started. Hope gets us started. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, 
About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. We saw a star, and we packed our bags, and we got going. Hope gets us started. The, uh, my son Elijah, he's 10 now, and he was turned 10 in October. And for his birthday, we decided that the family was all going to go to a hotel in the area so the kids could play in the pool and we'd have a fancy breakfast and all the stuff, right? So we said to the kids, we're going to the hotel, you need to go pack. Now, I didn't realize that the kids' estimation of one night in a hotel is the equivalent to about a month overseas. <laughs> I don't know if there is a single toy my kids did not pack for this trip. I could not tell you why Elijah thought he was going to need two extra blankets. Why Moses needed to bring his own pillow, I don't know. But they packed like they were going away for a month away. So imagine for these wise men, as here they are in Persia, 900 miles away, and they see a star, and they're trying to get ready for this trip. The wise men will have traveled in a large group, including servants and people to care for the camels or horses. Some have estimated that the Magi would have rolled in Jerusalem with an entourage of dozens. The journey from Persia to Jerusalem was almost a thousand miles, depending on which trade route they traveled. These routes that they traveled, they would not have had Roman roads, but rather would have been unstable terrain. There were bandits in extreme weather conditions, particularly the heat. And it's difficult to calculate how long it would have taken, but certainly a number of months. But here's the point. They got started. Hope gets us started. For the wise men, beginning the journey, probably on camels, was getting them started. They saw a star, and it was time to get started. It was time to begin the journey. It was time to get moving. The hope that was following the star, and the hope was the belief that by following the star, it would be worth it, and they would find something significant as they tracked this down. And for us, what is getting started? The hope is believing that the future can be better than the present, and without hope, we stay where we are. We don't get started without hope. But when hope breaks through, we get started towards a better tomorrow. Hope gets us started. Verse 2 again. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And down to verse 11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The next thing I want to share with you is that hope leads to worship. Hope leads to worship. This was the purpose for which they came, to worship him. We remember the three gifts, but the heart of the story is the worship they offered him. This is from a commentary I read on this passage this past week I thought was helpful to share with you. The purpose of the Magi's pilgrimage to see the child is accomplished as they bowed down and worshipped him. The true center of their attention is the infant Jesus. The word used to describe the Magi's worship is one normally reserved for the veneration of deity. It is a clear principle in Scripture that God alone is to receive worship, never an intermediary, not even an angel. But it is doubtful that at this time these quasi-pagan religious figures understand Jesus' divine nature. Since it took even Jesus' closest followers some time to comprehend the nature of the incarnation, it is doubtful that the Magi unknowingly worshipped Jesus as the God-man. Yet in spite of their blend of pagan religious background with the Jewish influence, their worship is probably far more than even they understand. At least they understand that this is God's Messiah and they worship the God of Israel through him. They didn't have it all figured out, 
but they knew enough. There was hope that chasing down this star would lead them somewhere worth going, and when they got there, what did they do? They worshiped. For the sake of communication, we often talk about worship as the songs that we sing to glorify God. And the songs help, they're tools to help us either as we come together in worship or to spend time worshiping alone. But worship is deep. It's a devotion and a loyalty and a commitment, an expression of trust and love. And amazingly, when people are in the middle of tragedy, they can still worship if there's hope. Oftentimes, we see many, many times that the most passionate worshipers in a church are the new believers who haven't even had a chance to get their theology figured out. They haven't even opened a Bible up yet or figure out what a good prayer life is, but they met a Savior. And the hope in His promises led them to heartfelt, passionate worship. Much like the wise men, they haven't got it all figured out, but they know deep, passionate worship because they met a Savior. And for those of us who have been believers for a long time, do we have more or less reasons to worship today compared to when we first got saved? Have our years of living in God's faithfulness given more or less reasons for us to worship? Has our Bible study over the years grown or shrunk our appreciation for just how incredible God is? Has an increase in knowledge and experience deepened our heart of worship? If someone's here today and you're new to faith, I hope that you're a deeply passionate worshiper. Whether that passion is expressed in an unobservable way or whether it's quiet sincerity working in your heart, I hope that this time next year you're even more passionate about worship. That every year as a believer and follower of Jesus, our devotion and love for Him just grows and grows as we continue to increase our appreciation for just how amazing He is. As people that are anchored in hope, we remember that hope leads to worship. And up until this point, Herod, he'd heard about these magi from the east showing up. He would have known about the fanfare as these men rolled into town, these noble people from a distant land with a giant entourage, and they're asking questions about a Messiah. So Herod finds out where the Messiah is to be born, then calls a secret meeting with the wise men under the ruse that he's trying to help them. He asks the wise men to come back after they have found him, and he pretends that he wants to worship the Lord also. But he only wants to murder the child so he doesn't have to contend with the Messiah. But as we find out, hope is protected by God. Hope is protected by God. Verse 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God protected the hope by warning them in a dream not to return to Herod. God warns them in a dream, disrupts Herod's scheme. In the Nativity account, there's a lot of instances of God speaking to people through dreams. Uh, Joel and Peter said something about this. And maybe that's something we should be more expectant of and more open to is God speaking to us in dreams. But we see here from the wise men that hope is protected by God. And this is demonstrated throughout the Bible that God is protective. God is protective of his people. Back in the Psalms, 105 verse 14, yet he did not let anyone oppress them. He warned kings on their behalf, do not touch my chosen people and do not hurt my prophets. And then from Zechariah, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. I will raise my fist to crush them. In Matthew, the words of Jesus later on in the gospel, but if you cause one of these little ones to trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, 
Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. God is protective. He is protective over his promises. He is protective over the hope that is in your heart and in my heart, the hope that is driving our lives. God is protective over that. And a key part of the account of the wise man is the role that Herod plays. And we see that hope is always threatened. We just read that hope is protected by God. And last week, Megan shared about how hope is tested while waiting on the promises of God. But when we have hope active in our lives, hope that the future is going to be better than the reality of today, we will inevitably have reasons for giving up hope. In the account of the birth of Jesus, we see Herod try to destroy any semblance of hope. This is carrying on after the wise men have headed home. Verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps of her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Uh, baby Jesus, going to Egypt, the massacre of the, re the innocents, where those baby boys were killed, it bluntly, directly points to Moses. As we have Jesus going to Egypt, which is of course where Moses was born. As we see this terrible tragedy as Herod has the boys killed, just like Pharaoh did in the book of Exodus. And by having these parallels to Moses, we start to have an understanding of the full picture of who Jesus is. See, Moses, he would lead people out of slavery. Moses, back in the Old Testament, would deliver people into freedom. Moses would be instrumental in bringing a covenant between God and humanity. So the similarities between the two start the realization that Jesus' mission and accomplishment were hinted at. They were foreshadowed by what Moses did. And we can see as we look further at the life of Jesus that while Moses is a true biblical hero, Jesus is greater. While Moses rescued a nation, Jesus is rescuing people from all the nations of the earth. The Moses brought freedom to slaves suffering under the brutality of the Egyptians. But Jesus would bring us freedom from sin and death and the freedom to have a restored relationship with the Father and an eternity with Him. God brings hope in unexpected ways. I wonder how often our hope takes a hit because the packaging doesn't look right or we don't see the signs we think we should see. Do we lack hope because we've limited our expectations? Let me share this verse with you from Ephesians. Ephesians 3.19 May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, 
who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God is able to do more than we can even think about, imagine, daydream, figure, strategize, analyze. He's able to do far much more. God is not limited to our ability to make sense of it all. And if we act like it is, if we think like it is, our hope takes a devastating hit. Our hope is, dis is diminished. If it's tied and connected to and contingent upon and dependent upon our ability to predict how God is moving, He is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or think. He is working in ways that we could never imagine. Ask the shepherds, ask Anna and Simeon, who's going to be next? No one's imagining the wise men. No one's imagining these idolatrous pagans coming from a thousand miles away to come in and see Jesus and worship and honor him. Nobody was predicting this, but it's how God worked. He brought hope. He added to the story of hope through the most unexpected means. God brings hope in unexpected ways. Hope gets us started. Hope leads to worship. Hope is protected by God. Hope is always threatened. I've got a couple of questions for you. Hopefully these will be helpful and maybe you have a chance this week to think through this and pray through this and perhaps talk it through with somebody. But the first one, are you lacking hope because you've limited your expectations? The mistake for many people in the first century when Jesus was walking the earth was they had an expectation, they had an understanding of what the Messiah would do and say and what it would look like and what they would experience being around the Messiah. They had all these preconceived notions and when Jesus didn't fit, there was people all kinds of confused. John described it this way. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He didn't match their expectations. He didn't match what they were anticipating. He came to his own people, people that knew the promise of God, people that knew the Old Testament, people that knew that God had made these big promises of restoration. And even they rejected him. They missed it. And are we lacking hope because our expectations are too narrow and too limited? Are you close to the idea that God may be working in a way you don't know about or could even fathom? Maybe it'd be helpful for you to pray for God to open yourself up, for God to open your heart, to trust that He's working in ways you couldn't guess. Are you lacking hope because you've limited your expectations? Second question, is hope leading you to worship? Is hope leading you to worship? The whole reason the wise men traveled a thousand miles over a period of months at great expense was to worship Jesus. They were driven by a hope that following that star would lead to something significant. And that hope led them to Mary and Joseph's house. And there they worshiped the Lord. We can have hope in the middle of tragedy. And as we mature in faith, our worship should be growing with us. If we believe that God is working in the most unexpected ways, we can have hope in all kinds of situations. As we mature, as we stretch in our faith, as we grow, as we do years with the Lord, our passion and our devotion should be growing, not stagnating or plateauing or even shrinking. But if we reduce worship to singing songs about God instead of worship being deeply important, 
an expression of our love and devotion for the Lord God Almighty who loves me more than any human mind could ever imagine is hope leading you to worship. We've been saying for the last four weeks now that the Christmas message is a message of hope. In that manger was the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. It's the message of Christmas. God moves in unexpected ways, and you may be here, and the idea of church and hope going hand in hand may be completely foreign idea to you. Maybe something from today has changed that. Maybe something from today, maybe it was one of the Bible passages that I read, or maybe one of the worship songs that the team has been singing today. But maybe something has clicked for you, and you realize, you know what? The promise of God, there is hope there, and that hope is missing in my life. You may be here, and if I was going to have a conversation with you and I was just to ask you directly, are you a Christian? Are you following God? It might make you uncomfortable. That idea of, I don't know if I'm following God. I mean, maybe, kind of, sort of, but there's no certainty to whether you are following God. I want to let you know the best decision I've ever made. 18 years ago now was the decision to follow Jesus. A lot's happened in 18 years, some up, some downs, but I've never once regretted my decision to follow Jesus. One person claps, we all have to. But maybe this Christmas, something has clicked for you. This is both in person and those of you online, but something has clicked for you. And you know that this message of hope isn't just for everyone else, but it's for you. And that you need to start getting right with God. You need to start continuing and taking steps forward in this relationship with God. So I want to ask everyone here, if you want just closing your eyes and bowing your heads, let's just give privacy to everyone around you and give us a chance to focus on what really matters right now. But if you'd be honest enough and brave enough today to say, Tom, you know what? I'm not following God. I might be polite about God. I may not have issue with God, but I'm not following Him. He's not Lord in my life. But I want to change that today. I want to start following Him with everything. If that's you today, I'd love to pray for you. So I'd invite you, if that's you, if you could just put your hand up just for a moment, I'd love to spend time praying for you. Thank you. Anybody else here? Amen. Anybody else? Online, you can just click the button that says, I raise my hand. I promise I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. But when we pray together in a moment, I'd love to know who we're including. Anybody else here today that's going to say, Tom, when you pray, I want to be included when we pray together. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else? I don't want to drag this out, but I want to give you an opportunity. I don't want this moment to pass by. Amen. Thank you. I'm glad we waited for you. Anybody else before we pray? Amen. Come on, Word of Life Church, can we please celebrate people making the best decision imaginable. Amen. We're going to pray together. The words are going to be on the screen. And I want to invite you to pray along with me. And as we pray, if you put your hand up, I want you to pray believing that a prayer like this is the power to change your life, is the power to set you on a path for a life you could never have imagined. So come on, everybody, let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, 
Amen, amen. Come on, everybody, one more time. Let's celebrate with people.